Dr. Brent Brookbush is a physical therapist and the founder and president of the Brookbush Institute. The Brookbush Institute optimizes the delivery of human movement science education by integrating technology, student-centered learning, and evidence-based practical education. Brent has been in the health and wellness industry since 1998 and an impassioned educator for nearly 10 years. Developing a presentation style that is clear and engaging, he has been focused on optimizing evidence-based, skilled-centric education for all human movement professionals. As a resource to industry giants from Shape Magazine, Town Sports International, Equinox, and the National Academy of Sports Medicine, Brent is grateful to affect thousands of lives every year, and he is my guest today. What's up, everybody? My name is John Campioni, and this is the Rock Tape Podcast. Well, let's get going into it. I am uh, sitting here with uh, Dr. Brent Brooke Bush, and I'm so glad I got the alliterate alliteration of your name in there. <laughs> I was practicing a little bit though. So Brent, Brent is uh, the CEO and founder of the Brooke Bush Institute. Brent, what's up? Nah, man, just uh, on this podcast, uh, excited to talk <laughs> about stuff. Um, always, always love to mix it up about what's going on, and you know. You know, I get involved heavily. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you being here. Thank you uh, for taking the time. Um, I think uh, you've been around uh, for quite some time. I think your career started about 1998, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are very familiar with the Institute. Um, you have your online education, which I definitely want to get into. But tell us a little bit about you uh, as an individual. What got you into healthcare? Tell us a little bit about your training and kind of where your career went after school. Yeah, so I kind of had the, the weirdest, uh, well, maybe not that weird, but uh, I started off as a jazz musician. Um, right. I was personal training to pay for my jazz career, and then I actually had a lip injury. I came out to New York on a full tuition ride to play jazz, and I tore this muscle in my face from practicing too much. So, When you say jazz, up, was it a specific instrument? Trombone. Trombone specifically? Okay. I was a jazz trombone player. There's actually a couple of clips of me playing on Instagram way, way back when I was 20. Yeah. Um, love the music still. But, uh, you know, after I tore my lip, I had a couple plastic surgeries, tried to get back into it, but couldn't do it. Wow. So I let personal training take over because um, I was already doing it. And then what really kind of catapulted my passion was I really fell in love with education. I started training trainers for New York sports clubs at like in like 2003 or 2004. You know, and then I did the New York sports clubs and then I was at Equinox and then I was with NASM for seven years. And, you know, so I was doing the, the big club chain and big education organization kind of teaching for a long time. And then kind of just before I went with NASM, I started what would become the Brooke Bush Institute. And then like three years ago, I think I ended up having to leave NASM because there was just not enough time for me to try to teach workshops for them and, and play CEO over in my little thing. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you go to PT school? I went to Hunter. Um, Hunter college is a CUNY program out here. It's pretty horrible. Um, it's, uh, I wish I could say great things about the program other than the fact that it's cheap. So where are you located? I'm in New York city, man. New York city. Okay. So schools out here are really expensive. (laughs) <laughs> uh, as you can imagine. So yeah. getting into Hunter was big for me financially. I'm not sure if I could have pulled it off if I had gotten into like Columbia or NYU. I mean, just the expense mm-hmm. of that is pretty high. Um, I that, yeah. But, you know, it ended up being a good, 
impetus for what I'm doing now because I think I had some insecurities about the ideas I had in education and whether they were relevant and whether I was the guy to do it. And of course, like, you know, some of these visions that we'll talk about, you know, were huge. And I got to Hunter and realized that they were having the same problems as like, you know, we see in personal training, we see in bachelor's degrees programs, we see in chiropractic programs, we see in master's degree programs, getting there and seeing the same problems was disappointing, but it was also like, okay, like I need to do this, right? Mm -hmm. Like I need, I need to push this education thing forward um, because it's needed right across the board. Was there anything in particular that you noticed that kind of um, set the stage for you really trying to dive into education for the purposes of trying to, you know, make it better than what it was already? Yeah, I think there's some big pillars, right? So I think the idea of having an evidence-based, systematic, outcome-driven approach is something I picked up from NASM, you know? Um, I think they started down that path. Mike Clark started down that path with the OPT model. Um, when I got to the PT school, I realized that that wasn't necessarily what everybody was teaching. Hmm. It either lacked a system, a system, right. Or the outcomes weren't based on reliable assessments or, you know, this evidence-based thing is actually relatively new. So, you know, you have these teachers teaching really old lesson plans and they're inadvertently teaching things that, you know, the evidence just doesn't support anymore. Um, so you have that also realizing that lesson plan development needed to change, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, I really staked my claim on being a clear and engaging presenter and getting outcomes based on comprehension, retention, and application, like actual education variables, right? And I think that's missing. Um, and then of course, everybody can feel my pain here. One thing we've really been trying to do with the Brookbush Institute is go, how many obstacles can we take out of the student's way? Hmm. Right. So I think when we go to chiropractic school or PT school, you walk in and they basically go, your ass is mine. (laughs) You're, you're not going to have a job. You're not going to do anything but think about school. Your schedule is going to be absolutely inconvenient. Uh, You're going to be given homework assignments that have nothing to do with anything, but, you know, we want to give you busy work. Um, You're going to have to do these paper copies of stuff because we're not tech savvy. Like it was, it was just a, an inconvenience melee. And I think everybody can kind of like, empathize with that right like now all of a sudden with technology you know this is which is kind of the third piece for us it's like we're going okay well if we made everything modular if we did it on an app could we make it so that like you have a cancellation and knock out an hour of credit right why not why why aren't we doing that right why do you have to quit your job and give up your life to be completely inconvenienced for 30 hours of education per week. I mean, that, of course, that's the graduate level. Why do you sure. even have to do 30 hours a week is another inconvenience, right? Yeah. yeah. So I think those three big pillars, like the, the whole systematic evidence-based outcome-driven approach, optimizing the delivery of education, and then trying to remove obstacles has been like, okay, we got to do this. And, yeah. you know, for the last five years, at least, it's been – uh, full-time would be generous, more like double full-time. <laughs> right? Like I've been trying to make this happen. I'll bet. Yeah. You know, this is a, a great topic to, to get into. And, you know, you hear this word thrown around a lot 
evidence-based, uh, evidence-based practice, uh, things like that. For anybody who, you know, uh, might be unfamiliar, uh, a student who's been hearing that in school now, explain to people what that really is, and then give us an idea of how you made sure you were implementing what you wanted to implement within the Institute. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is one of those tricky questions that actually kind of involves those three pillars that we were just talking about in a, in a weird way. Everybody goes, oh, everything should be evidence-based, and they're really not giving anybody any credit for how hard that is to do. So obviously, Sackett is the is what Sackett et al. is what everybody references when they talk about evidence-based, and he had his three pillars, which was you have to have patient outcomes, right? So actual, what what are the outcomes you're getting for your patients? You have your personal experience, right, which we could call our intuition or our you know, the less uh, tangible things that we pick up throughout our careers. And then, of course, the okay. third part of it, which has taken all of the intention of the evidence-based movement, which is this third-party objective data, right? Which for us, for the most part, is research, hmm. right? So we need that third party that's supposed to be unbiased, and we're going to rate it with statistics, right? So we can kind of see where things are at. Now, as I mentioned, statistics and, and research has become the end-all be-all of the evidence-based movement, which wasn't what it was supposed to be. And I think people need to consider that because there's fallacies that people are falling into all over the place. Like, I, th I think one that we need to bring a lot more attention to is the absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, right? Mm -hmm. So just because we don't have research about something doesn't mean it's wrong. Right? It just means there's no research. It means literally nothing. It means not a yes, not a no, nothing. You know, and that's where our outcomes and personal experience are supposed to come in. Like taping, you know, is it, you know, I know you're over at Rock Tape. Like it, it's, is a great example where you go, I think for us at the Brookwish Institute, we teach taping as a way of reinforcing activation techniques to improve carryover between sessions. Well, mm -hmm. once you get that delineated, are nuanced in your use, it's very hard to find specific research that's going to back up what I'm saying. Um, does that mean I'm wrong? No, it just means we need research. We need more research, right, for this, this use case that I'm basing partly on research and then partly on the outcomes that I'm seeing in practice. Yeah, and I think you said a great word there too is specific. It is, and you can agree or disagree, I think it's very difficult to do the, the research with the specificity that a lot of us are looking for. So, you know, <clears throat> with tape, for instance, too, there are so many different type of applications that you could apply for any given situation. So do you find that to be a flaw in research, something that we can fix, or maybe something that is not necessarily going to be fixed anytime soon? I think it's the wrong question. Okay, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> You know, I think people really need to look at research and go, research is what it is, mm -hmm. right? Like to me, research are points of data. Like that every research, it's it, research isn't even right or wrong. Like I think people screw that up too. It's just data points, right? You just have these statistical inferences of the most likely scenario, right? That's, that's all statistics tells us. Um, so like people talk about competing research, research doesn't really do that. You just have two more data points that you have to aggregate. Like specificity of research is always going to be difficult because you're always going to be able to find some variable. 
consider or think or make up some variable that some researcher didn't account for or couldn't account for because they simply don't have access to the population, they don't have the resources financially. People, people like, if you've never done a research study, um, people don't know how hard it is. Like, research is hard. Mm -hmm. It's hard to get people to show up. It's hard to get people to follow through. I mean, think about trying to get 15 of your friends together for three sessions of anything. <laughs> and come together and you know consistently like they all have to do the same thing that you're studying and then get them all together to put together their test on the fourth session you know what do you think your attrition rate would be like do you yeah. think 15 of your friends would show up for all three sessions and the assessment or do you think you'd probably lose two-thirds of them by the end it's like being in a book club how long does that yeah. usually last how many people come up and they're like oh i didn't i didn't get a chance to read the book or something like that Right, right. Or every time, like, you know, I'm a basketball player, man. Every time we try to put together like an invite only run, like that lasts, we get like three or four really good runs and then people start dropping out. <laughs> um, you know, so yeah, I think people need to, again, like if they just look at research and go, okay, I'm just picking up points of data and I'm going to take them for what they're worth, you know, and I'm going to do my best to synthesize all that data into the most likely conclusion based on all. And this actually little point, right? The point that these are all small points of data is where most people get things drastically wrong. Um, I, I usually bring up this analogy of um, pointillism. Uh, it's this like little movement in the art world, right? Where they started painting with like little dots. There's like this little, uh, there's this really famous painting called like something on the river Gange or something where it looks like this smoky kind of picture that has this very kind of ambient uh, shadowy thing to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's really cool looking thing. Uh, it's like this afternoon scene by this river, very old school, very, very old school. And sure enough, if you walk up to the painting, it's the, the whole thing has been done with little dots of color. Uh. This painter, uh, Sarad, just took his paintbrush and just little one little dot at a time. I have to realize, like, research is one dot. And if you want a picture, you need hundreds, if not thousands of studies. Right? And that's, I think, where the evidence-based movement has gone really, really astray, is not only has it leaned heavily on research and seemingly dismissed personal experience and outcomes, but then it holds up one study at a time, like a trophy, and acts like they have immense value, mm -hmm. and they don't. And that's nothing against researchers, because researchers are incredible, and I have the utmost respect for them, but each one of them is in there, like, trying to put that, those little dots of color on this massive picture, right? So what we do at the Brookbush Institute, which is extremely tough and time consuming and what I spend most of my time doing is we've decided that we're going to base everything on comprehensive lit review. And when I say comprehensive lit review, like I'm working right now on a course on cervical and thoracic mobilizations. Like I'm already at 106 citations. That's just for cervical and thoracic mobilizations. That's not mobilizations for the rest of the joint in the body, nor is that manipulations. Manipulations is another couple hundred citations. And I've already pulled all of the citations out for reliability, which I'm going to put into a separate course. So by the time I'm done with our 
manipulations and mobilizations manual therapy courses, we're talking probably a thousand or more studies. Hmm. And if you're not willing to look at all of that, don't expect to get a clear picture. Right? Like you can't hold any one of those studies out. I would not be able to tell you any one of those studies. Maybe there's some that, you know, seem to be more reflective of the, the research body as a whole. But the only reason I know that is because I've seen as much of the research as I can put together. Um, you can't take one of those studies though and like hold it up and be like, see, uh, cervical mobilizations are no more effective than heat exercise and such and such. And it's like, mm-hmm. dude, it's just one study. You know, yeah. what was the, what was the pathology? What were the outcome measures? Who were the audience or who were the participants? Cause without that information, you're holding up one study and really overgeneralizing. Yeah. And you know, one of the things to look at if you're looking at one study is, is those limitations. You know, uh, I've been trying to be better at just, you know, seeking out research and, you know, rather than playing a game on my phone, maybe, you know, searching some key keywords and seeing if I can find some interesting stuff. And you read different research and you talk about, you know, this many participants and then they have to make sure this many people did not finish the program as well too. There's a lot to really dissect from just one study. So I think the, the takeaway, um, that you're saying is you have to look at all that kind of research to see that big picture, just like you said, to truly understand everything that's being trying that's that is that someone is trying to show as far as the evidence that that is out there. So do you think a lot of people you you mentioned how people are taking one study holding it up and saying, you know, look at this, this is this is what we need to go by. Do you think there's a lot of people who are using that kind of uh antithetically and they're saying well look at this study it shows that that doesn't do anything right oh yeah yeah there is definitely this like strange nihilistic nothing <laughs> a, works movement great word for it yeah 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 actually the methodologist that we've been working with a little bit like i've been bringing up i you know i even i have a problem with some of the statistics and stuff and epistemology right this the study of the logic behind research it's not simple like i don't want people to think that i'm out here going like here you should just read research it's easy it's not <laughs> um that's part of the that's one of the jokes with this evidence-based movement is we have consumers who took one statistics course in their dpt program or dc program or their masters in kinesiology and they're expected to like come to these conclusions that are actually fairly complicated um you know, you have these people holding up these one studies and what they're really doing is they don't really understand what they're reading. And I don't mean that they can't read. I mean, you know, (laughs) they're doing things like, okay, the null hypothesis wasn't refuted. Well, they confuse null hypothesis as the opposite hypothesis. When actuality, the null hypothesis is the nothing hypothesis, right? So when you write a null hypothesis, you're basically saying there's gonna be no effect. And they'll hold up a study and go, look, there was no effect, which proves me right. No, actually it doesn't. It proves that there was no effect, which doesn't prove anything to anybody, right? Just because, you know, for example, you know, I think with these nihilists, a lot of them come out of this like pain science zealot camp, right? So they go, see, there was no mechanical change, so it has to be nervous system. Hmm. Well, the truth of being is you don't have any more evidence that it was nervous system than I have that it was mechanical. Right, we actually are, are dead even now because we all we have is proof that whatever was studied, there was no, no proof of, that's it. Yeah. Um, you know, and then we have to ask all these other questions. Um, it's tough, man, like the, the evidence-based movement has a lot of work to do before it's gonna be something where all of us can go, this is the way it should be done. 
you know, we're, we're doing it one way. And I, and I think it's the most unbiased way we can come about doing it, which is just to take all research studies and try to come up with the most nuanced conclusion based on the direction of the effects. Mm-hmm. Right. So our, our approach is more like, can we start defining things a little better first? Right. Before we start like throwing things out. Um, but yeah, again, it's not easy. Even to your point, you were talking about searching some keywords and sorry for the siren in the background there. You are uh, in New York city. So we understand. It is true. I am definitely in New York city. Um, so, you know, taking what you were talking about, about searching some search terms, what I would much rather see people do, and this is not a jab at you, but we're trying to make even our bibliographies useful educational content. And what I mean by that is we, you know, we cite in order of citation in the paper. And since our papers are broken down into paragraphs, but usually ends up with is you usually end up with subtopics in our bibliography. So if you wanted like cervical mobilizations and radiculopathy, that would be a paragraph in our paper. You can actually go down to the bibliography and find the eight or 10 studies that are specific to cervical mobilizations and radiculopathy, and then read all those 10, mm-hmm. right? Rather than go, let's, let's read some random studies about cervical mobilizations. You need to read all of them. Yeah. Let's start taking chunks, right? And you've, you've even seen our stuff on Instagram where we started going after some of these nihilistic individuals a little bit with like, you know, saying that like exercise is, is effective and you don't need manual therapy. Well, the truth of the matter is, is all of the studies that combine manual therapy and exercise are more effective than exercise alone, right? I would rather you take that, those, you know, 40 citations that I posted, 20 of them being RCTs, and randomized control trials and read those 20 randomized control trials. I think that's the direction we have to head where people are pulling chunks and reading a dozen or so studies about one thing. Yeah. And I can only speak for myself too. So no offense taken. I, I want to be better at looking at the research myself. You know, I went through school and we, we even had classes that were called evidence-based practice. And you know, what I actually came out of those courses uh, with was research is really overwhelming. So, you know, most human beings see that and they go, I don't really want to, you know, kind of deal with that, but we have to be a little bit better in looking at the literature on our own too. So what are some tips or advice other than what you already uh, told us, us um, that somebody could do when they're really looking for some good evidence to be able to avoid just, oh, I'm just going to, you know, type into Google, Google scholar, this one word and see what comes up. What are some of the tips that you might have for someone when they're really looking for one particular subject matter? You know, how many studies do you feel is appropriate for someone to really look at to get at least an inkling of an idea of where that evidence is pointing them? Hard um, question. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to sound like a jerk too because my answer is always going to be like, you need to look at all of them. Um, no, I love, I love answers like that too. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, because that's, that's gray area. There is no black and white when it comes to that. Uh, that's the closest we can get to black and white is if you look at all of them, you can come up with a nuanced conclusion. Um, But here's what I would say. So let me give you an idea of how I go through stuff and hopefully I can pass this on. And, and some of this stuff will be in our writing course that we hopefully will be part of our statistics course too. And there is definitely something going on with these sirens. I'm so sorry. They're not coming after you, are they? No. Well, you never know. (laughs) Um, Me and my giant chihuahua. Uh, Anyway, so Some tips. If you started with somebody like me who does lit reviews, right? And you 
got into my stuff and stole my bibliography, that would be a great start. Okay, so and I, I'm giving people permission to do that. I've always given people permission to do that. I do that. The first thing I do for any lit review I ever do is I try to find other reviews and pull their bibliography apart. Hmm. I'm basically leaning on the search of other individuals, which search takes a really long time. Mm -hmm. So I would start with reviews. You could even find a couple really good studies that you like, pull their bibliographies, start putting together your notes, and then go to something like Google Scholar and start working with some synonyms. What I would suggest from a study perspective, from an educational perspective, from a professional development perspective, is I would ask everybody to start studying something as if they're gonna write their own lit review. Even if you just did one a year, I think you would be miles ahead of the pack. You know, I was thinking about this before our call. I average about 10 references a day in my writing. Okay, 10 references, that seems manageable, right? Realize that that means that the Brook Bush Institute is supported by an additional 3,650 citations every year. That means by like 2022, we'll have something like 20,000 citations supporting our work, right? So you wanna do kind of a miniature version of that for yourself, right? Where you, okay, I'm gonna be like, I, I really like, it doesn't matter, IASTM, taping. I really like manipulations. I really like ischemic uh, compression, static manual release techniques, that type of stuff. I really like trigger points, whatever. Um, and you go, I'm just gonna get into this and do it for a year. You'd be yeah. surprised, man. Like you all of a sudden, like you'll, you'll start that second and third order thinking that is so lacking on social media. Um, you know, <laughs> thinking beyond just the simple yes or no. If, but it, if thinking is even there in the first place. Oh yeah. I don't know. Some of these trolls put in a lot of thought. Um, <laughs> but I think you'd be surprised at how much you would learn, not only about whatever you're studying, but just about logic about research, about statistics, about your own biases and holes in your approach. Um, I, I don't think you could go wrong. Even if you only did, even if you only managed to get through three topics in five years, I think you would be 100% better than you are now. Literally double the clinician you are now if you just set out to do that. Could be 10 citations a month. It, you know, you don't have to do all the writing I do, which is a lot, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like that tip. I mean, every article comes with their own citations. It's, you know, it's, um, it's like data. article, it's like data hopping, you know, it's yeah. just, I'm going to hop from one link to the other. So, you know, with all the work that you do, you've developed this amazing website at, uh, brookbushinstitute.com. And just perusing the website, you can start to see all the different links to online courses, the articles, the videos. Um, one of the really cool things is even if you go without signing into some of the free articles that are there, um, I was just looking at the local vibration article that you have, you've got embedded links to different topics. So if you have um, like a, a muscle named in the article, a lot of times there's a link onto that, you click on it and then it'll tell you about that particular muscle, origin insertion, all that stuff as well too. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about you know, your vision uh, when it first started for what you wanted the website to be and I'd love to get into kind of your, your educational philosophy a little bit more too. Oh, sorry guys, 
Get the dog. <laughs> He's moving around in my lap. Um, so, uh, yeah, man. I mean, look, I'm nobody's a bigger fan of my colleagues than me. I think that's important that like people understand. Like, I do this as a service. You know, I I never wanted to be a guru. Like, I don't. I'm not trying to stake my claim. I know the company ended up named after me, but that's only because. <clears throat> You know, I, I built this company starting with social media. So people were following my page where I was putting up info. And there was no way to transition that without leaving the name, my name in the company. But sure. at the end of the day, like, I want to see how many obstacles I can remove. I want something that makes education enjoyable. I want something that makes it easier. Um, as you know, we can talk about the evidence-based stuff and all that, but you know, you pull all that away. Like, let's just, let's just say for, let's for, for this argument, we're going to say that I'm trustworthy. Um, <laughs> so you get the, the content is trustworthy. Great. Now, like, what do you need? Well, you know, things need to be fairly comprehensive. I think a lot of education platforms miss that a lot of great education platforms are still not very comprehensive, leading to very large holes that the students expect to fill themselves, which is an obstacle unto itself. So kind of going to what you were talking about with all the links, you know, like it was, it, it is a continual improvement process for us to continually fill those gaps, right? So we have a lot of anatomy. We know that anatomy is a huge portion, a huge obstacle to people's understanding. So we have a ton of those articles to help people, right? And they're accredited for CECs and all that fun stuff. We'll get to that in a second. But, you know, so you take anatomy, we're talking about building a statistics course. It's not because I love statistics. Um, it's because we, we want to help people understand research in a way that they're going to actually use it. Um, you know, we, we have like those research reviews that we've been doing too, which was like our, we've been doing that for years where we set out to create a, a templated review type thing that like translated research studies into something like a clinician would actually want to read. Mm -hmm. Right. So like all the nuts and bolts are there. We want to be accurate, but we're really trying to just like help you guys like, okay, read, understand the study a little bit. And then boom, here's the, here's the yeah. stuff you need. So we have that and those are linked. Some of those hyperlinks are even in the bibliographies of the larger pieces. Um, and as we get more and more comprehensive, you're going to see more and more of those links, right? So no matter what you're in, like, for example, if you're in a course on uh, gluteus medius activation, right? Not only will that course have gluteus medius activation and a bunch of progressions and videos, but you kind of need to know what assessment findings would indicate that gluteus medius activation is appropriate. Mm -hmm. And that'll be in there, right? And then maybe on top of that, you need... Um, a sample routine, which we also have that in there. And then eventually we hope to have like more, like branch that sample routine thing out a little bit and have case studies, right? So maybe using like the Pico model or something that like the, like Natabok wants for their evidence-based credits. So we're continually trying to be like, okay, how do we get all the pieces so that when you get on there and knock out a bunch of education, you're not stopped. I want to get rid of the... The, the dead ends, right? Like we want this to be nice and open. Mm. So that's, that's part of that. Um, you know, I think a good example of that, not that we're open source, because we're obviously not open source, but Wikipedia, I just, I, I love Wikipedia. Like, yeah. I think Wikipedia is so, like you're going through and you're like, ooh, like I was, I was researching so-and-so and 
are, you know, I was researching, I remember reciprocal inhibition or something, and I got onto the, the page, and then all of a sudden reciprocal inhibition led to Sherrington's Law, and then it led me to Sherrington. And did you know Sherrington won a Nobel Prize in like 1915 for his synaptic model of the nervous system before they had microscopes that could see synapses? And like, all of a sudden you're like, oh, Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you want the, <laughs> the research, you want our platform to kind of be the same way, where you're like moving around, and you're like, oh, I get it now. Mm. Right? Like, I get why Brent said that, like, muscles are overactive or underactive because yeah like when you're looking at these emg studies like when things get dysfunctional like things start recruiting different right which is and they start like putting all the pieces together yeah right so there's that um and you know that's actually based on an andragogical precept uh andragogy being the study of adult education so like there's this thing in andragogy that talks about how adult learners want to learn by association and we take that very seriously, right? Like they don't like being dictated to, they like to be told what something is like. Mm. They would rather learn by analogy, essentially. Mm. Um, so you take that, we have that comprehensive thing that we're trying to do. And then, you know, the other thing is, I think, I, I never understood why we were paying for content, continuing ed courses and certification as three separate things. Mm. So we don't. We're trying to get all of our content accredited for CECs, which all of our those courses also count towards our human movement specialist certification. We have more certifications that are going to be coming out in the next few months. Um, and it all counts as the same thing. Why would it, why wouldn't it? Why would I make you do three different, why would I make you do something three times over again? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So we're working on that. I think that's a huge obstacle that needs to be getting rid of. And if you give me enough time, I might just figure out how to make content, online CECs, certification, and college credits all of the same thing. Interesting. That's that's kind of my Steve Jobs level ding in the universe that we're trying to put, right? Is can I put all of this on an app on your phone for $29.99 a month and you can progress through a master's degree as fast or slow as you'd like to one hour's worth of coursework at a time and and be getting all this other stuff in between so you're working towards this end goal of a degree but meanwhile you're picking up some content and you finish some ccs for your license and then you pick up one of our specialty certifications and and meanwhile on the way all of this stuff is also counting mm -hmm. for a degree yeah which i think is a future of education i think so too and i think the big trend right now is that online education and you just made an amazing point too that I never really thought about but you know how much online content is there now there's there's a good amount but what does it really get you sometimes and I won't name specifics but there are certifi certain certifications that I try to maintain um, that they get very tedious with trying to maintain that and then there's yeah. different categories like you need a certain number of ceus from this category and then from this category and then you know there's always that time limit as well too and ultimately like what you said <clears throat> with adult learners we do want something from it as well too if i just have to read an article just to read the article just so i can get the credit is that something I'm necessarily going to take away from and utilize in practice? But when you, I guess you could say giving an incentive like this, putting it towards something, not only am I not wasting my time, I'm getting to choose what I, I want to learn. And it's actually getting me to an ultimate goal of making myself better to help people in, within my practice. I think this is such a, a, a fascinating platform to get into. 
Yeah, I mean, and and we're doing exactly. So one of the things you brought up is that idea of choice. Mm. Um, you know, like when you do one of our certifications, you have immense choice over which courses you want to take. Yeah. Right. So, you know, in the future, because we're going to have multiple certifications, um, you'll have like kind of your core curriculum, right? Which will be like, you'll have to get certain, certain number of credits from each category inside of the Brookbush Institute. This isn't separate organizations, but um, okay. you'll also have a ton of elective credits that you can get. Sure. And, and that should be your choice. You know, if you're in OT, who's working primarily with, with upper body uh, disabilities, like you should be able to lean towards upper body. I shouldn't be forcing you to learn, you know, triple extension mechanics for sprinters. Like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> you know, like you need to be able to kind of lean however your career is going. Mm-hmm. And I think you make a good point about like, it's like, yeah, it would be nice to be able to just learn whatever you want. But at the end of the day, we do need those CECs. So what mm-hmm. I think ends up happening sometimes is great education is pushed aside for education that fills the purpose that we need it to fill. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a lesson for, you know, any business education owner out there. Like if you're not accredited, you're not going to be around much longer. Like I, I don't, I don't know how else to say it. Like you need to yeah. put yourself through that process. So, yeah. Um, it is getting harder, unfortunately, to get accredited for even CECs, but, um, it's something. Can I ask what that process is, is like? I, I have no idea about that too. I'm, I'm, I've always been curious is what do you have to really go through if you can even sum that up? Yeah. So like it goes, it goes on a couple things. Look, I appreciate the fact that they are trying to set a higher minimum standard, right? That's what accreditation is all about. That's what licensure is all about. That's what a degree is all about is setting a minimum standard. Mm-hmm. People think that like, Education is about maximum standards and it's really not maximum standards are an ending and up to your effort. Minimum standards is what we're trying to set. What's the lowest bar. So I appreciate the creditors are trying to set the lowest bar. Unfortunately, um, accreditation can be very expensive and it can be very niche and it can be very heavily process based versus content based. Mm -hmm. Um, one of our accreditors uh, just disbanded, you know, so we, we, we invested tens of thousands of dollars into getting accredited with this accreditor and now they're just not going to exist, which means we have two years of accreditation with them left, right? We'll be able to continue that, but then we have to invest more money into a different accreditation. Um, some creditors at like chiropractors, you guys are running a total racket. The chiropractic accreditation not only expects us to go through the accreditation process up front, but then wants a kickback on every stu- every chiropractor that comes through our course. Doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's basically racketeering. Um, I don't even know what else to say. I don't know why they would want to kick back on the back end because somebody took a course that we created that we already have accredited. To me, that's just nonsense. But, um, to kind of go back, like, so some of them are, are good in the fact that they set up processes, make sure that you have learning objectives, make sure you have a lesson plan, make sure that you have citations, make sure that some of those citations are recent citations. Um, and that's all fine and good. I think the, the harder part of it, of course, is the administrative side, which just, and the, the administrative side and the cost. Like we've been yeah. quoted, I forget what, there was one crazy one. Oh, Florida and Ohio for PTs yeah, because we have 130 separate courses and they still are on a model. That's more like, I think they charge 250 or $500 per course because most workshop companies before our era 
um, you know, they were doing live workshops. Maybe they have three or four live workshops, so they're paying $2,000 a year. Well, they want to charge us that same price for all of our 130 plus online courses. So they're literally willing to look at us and ask for $25,000 a year for accreditation for PTs in Ohio. We're like, if we had every PT in Ohio sign up twice, I'm not sure it would be financially viable. Um, you know, so that's some of the stuff. Now, of course, PTs in Ohio, if they sign up with us, they can petition their credits and they'll get through. But, sure. um, you know, it's, it, it, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I'm sure people are listening to us right now and going, Oh geez, this sounds absolutely terrible. And it is. No, and, um, well, but we're not disparaging anybody. We're just telling, yeah. you're just telling us the facts. Like they, this is what is actually happening too. So, you know, if anybody is doing online content or live courses and they're looking towards accreditation, this is the kind of stuff you have to look at. You got to know this. Yeah. I would say, look, be easy guys. Like, you know, I would say the one thing to students out there, if you see somebody who's pace, uh, you know, accredited for Kairos, for Matabok, for ATCs, or uh, ProCert, or any of the uh, physical therapy state recognized accreditations, you have to give them a little bit of respect. That mm. It is a very hard process, and it yeah. takes a massive amount of investment. And And I think we should just, you know, give a little bit of praise to those educators who are willing to put themselves through it. Yeah, absolutely. Um Going back a little bit, uh, you know, we were talking a little bit about the trends and where you see education going to. Um, maybe you can answer this kind of from personal experience. Um, why do you think there's more of a trend towards online courses versus live courses? I think there's obvious answers to that. Yeah, um, it's but do you, do you think that live courses are going to become obsolete? No. No? No, 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 no. So, um it all comes down to obstacles. We talked about this before. So like yeah. you literally can take a course with the Brooke Bush Institute for $19.99 a month. You get access to all 130 of our courses. So you get choice, right? You can download our app and do one of our courses inside of 60 minutes and take a seven question exam and get your certificate all in the time of your canceled client, right? Like it doesn't really get more convenient than that. So it's hard to compete. Sure. It's hard for live workshops to compete, but there is still definitely a market for hands-on learning. Like there's sure. learners who don't like the online experience. And, you know, I've, I've definitely given refunds to individuals who are like, I thought I could do this and I can't. Hmm. Um, and I understand. Uh, also things like, you know, we have a manual therapy course we're launching in November. Hmm. Of course we have online manual therapy courses. Um, but it is a lot better to get some manual therapy instruction live, right? Get your hands yeah. on people, you know, like, Practice. So, yeah, some things just don't work as well. The corrective exercise lab we teach, like, it's one thing for me to tell you, here's how to fix an asymmetrical weight shift. You go, oh, that Brent guy is full of shit. It's a different thing <laughs> to come out and feel it and watch it happen or to assess it and make it happen on somebody else. Like, that has it. And then, of course, we have the program design workshop, same thing, right? That's our, like, resistance training workshop. Hmm. And, like, you do some of these power stability exercises or you do... Um, one of our like kind of evidence-based supersets that we, <laughs> and they're hard and they're mm -hmm. fun and you get really sore and you're like, wow, this is cool. It's like better education through science. Yeah. Um, you know, but that it's that feeling that comes with it that kind of like pushes the student over the edge to finally go, oh, now I get what they were talking about on paper. I think the market, what will inevitably happen to the market is like where it was once, 
80% live and 20% online, that's going to flop. We're going to yeah. see 80% online education, 20% live. Um, I think my workshops for NASM is a good example. So in the time that I taught for NASM, I remember teaching these workshops in New York where an NASM CPT workshop would have like 105 people. Hmm. I mean, just packed, right? Like we would speak on stage with like the Madonna microphone. Like it was crazy. By the time I left there, like a eight to 12 person workshop was not uncommon. Hmm. And I don't think that's NASM's fault. I think that's yeah. the change in the industry, right? Cause NASM is still the biggest player in fitness certification by a long shot. So um, I think that's a good little microcosm of what we kind of see happening in the industry. But you know, you do have like, I, you know, I, I look at rock tapes, uh, um, Instagram page and you guys still pack out workshops. Like, yeah. You might not pack out as many, but you know, maybe you can't do 350 or 400 packed out workshops a year, but you can still do a hundred or 150 packed out workshops per year. Like you guys. Uh, and speak, yeah. And speaking of that too, is like from an instructor standpoint, it's very difficult to give a good amount of time to individuals when you have upwards of 40 to 50 people in certain courses. Yeah. So like, I love the, the 15 to 20 person classes because even that can be a lot too depending on you know what kind of content we're doing so you know there is a, an advantage to that as well too but then you look at it from a business standpoint is like if i'm aiming for about 15 to 20 people every time is that necessarily financially viable so then i see, can see where people get into the pitfalls it's like oh i gotta pa i want to pack it with 50 people but then you lose individuality with working with so there's always you know ebbs and flows ups and downs trying to compare what's the best way to go with certain courses yeah, you kind of, we've kind of actually pitted on, I'll give you, I'll give you one of my business predictions. You ready? Go for it. We're, we're slowly moving into an education environment where only the big survive. Uh, and I think there's three major things driving that. Being an evidence-based content provider takes a massive effort mm -hmm. from massively experienced people who require payment. Right. So like all of my writing team are doctors who want to be paid. Right. And it, we spend, if, if people knew how much we spent per article, I'm telling you right now, there would be CEOs in the industry who thought it was crazy. <laughs> um, the accreditation thing is getting harder and harder and more and more expensive and people expect it. Right. So you have to come in and if you're not looking at seven figures in revenue per year, it's almost not worth getting into. And then more and more, and I would be surprised to find out, you know, it'd be interesting to talk to, to Rock Tape CEO. A lot of companies have gone to this model where if workshops are paying for themselves, the company's happy. Mm -hmm. They don't want profit. They want community because mm -hmm. communities buy products. Yeah. Right. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I'm just talking about a business perspective now, right? Not like if Rock Tape's the best product out there, we want Rock Tape to be sold to as many people as we who are using tape. Right. But they're looking at it and going, look, if we break even on workshops, that's essentially a huge marketing platform that's paying for itself. I'll take it. Mm -hmm. They're not looking to make that 25, 30% profit margin on workshops like was more common maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Right. I know, you know, from what I know of NASM, I know they don't necessarily expect to profit on workshops. Interesting. Right. They're profiting on certification. We don't necessarily expect to make money on workshops. I think we might be able to find a niche where we get some profit margin. But for me, it's all about let's experiment with our 
lesson plan development. It gives us a, a, an easy way to like literally put a lesson plan in front of people and see how it does. Um, let's get the community feeling what evidence-based, systematic approach, outcome-driven stuff feels like. Um, you know, I think that for us is more important. The online education platform will drive the, the profit center and, you know, that's, that's all well and good. Yeah. Um, let's get back into the online education because it's one of those things, and uh, I'll fully admit, I think this is a reaction a lot of people have is they go to the website, they see, you know, what's, what it entails. So it's a membership type of site. And then the education, uh, over 150 plus online courses, 500 plus videos, 500 plus articles, you choose what you want to take, but that can actually be uh, put to a certification. When I first looked at that, I remember I had to send you a message just to clarify, because I feel like it's one of those things like, wait That's a second. Our fault. Yeah, well, no, it's, it's, it's actually very clearly put out, but my dumb brain was like, wait a second, I don't necessarily think I believe that. And I think it's because of what we talked about previously about the conditioning of people like, oh, you know, I have to do this many uh, courses to get this certification or I have to apply this and that. And this is, I think, a very unique uh, type of thing. I don't know of anybody else who does it like this is you have a membership, you take the courses that you want, that will start to apply to certification. Is that a good way to kind of sum it up? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and you can just do CECs or you can do certification. You can do them all in a month and cancel. Um, you could get certified in a month and pay $20 for a certification. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting model, and I think – so let, let me tell you how it works out financially. I'll, I'll be totally transparent. Okay. What we're hoping is to have higher member value at lower cost than the other big players in the market, right? So a certification company like – NASM or ACE or, or NSCA or whatever um, in fitness, the fitness industry, they charge anywhere from five to $800 up front. Mm. But they also have to have salespeople who cost a fortune when you really look at it to sell those high end memberships. What we're hoping is going, we're going to make this so wonderful and so obvious that we're going to get our conversion costs so low that despite the fact that we're bringing in slightly less money over time, right? We'll end up better off. Right, because we are basically we took away the uh, initial barrier, right? Twenty dollars to invest, and we give a thirty-day money-back guarantee. Is like there's no barrier, right? So that's that's what we're hoping for. We're hoping for eventually lowering our costs up front, and then we're actually hoping to keep you for longer and have you spend more money with us than you would have on a single certification anyway. So there you go. There's my there's my sales pitch. Like it just in case you thought it wasn't about money, there is money involved. I mean, we're a company. There always is. We have to be realistic about it too so anybody who feels like oh stop selling me it's like it's just facts that's all it is really but here's 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 where i think people should think about what's beneficial to them for our product right we're basically using the netflix model right people I was just gonna say, model. yeah yeah what is so important about the netflix model that like blockbuster couldn't hold on to or that some of these other organizations couldn't hold on to our whole business is dependent on keeping you happy. Mm. As soon as we F up, right, people cancel. You know, we just launched a website, a new website with the goal of being on the most cutting edge software and reducing um, load times and being able to do some really fancy stuff. But there was some glitches and those glitches cost us, right? Like we saw it almost immediately in our numbers. Mm -hmm. Well, that benefits you as the, the member, 
right? Because then what do we want to do? We want to provide better service and we have to continually provide better service to continue keeping people on this membership. So when you think about that as a student coming onto our platform, like it's kind of nice to think that like, oh yeah, these guys aren't just going to throw me a textbook and then never talk to me again, right? We're continuously adding new courses. We're continuously updating the website. We're continually trying to make the app more intuitive. We're continually trying to bring on more people to try to make more of this happen faster. So that again, this idea of this business model works out, right? Like if we can only keep people for two months, we're going out of business. Yeah. We want to keep people for life. We want to keep people certified for life. Yeah. And with that comes new content, you know, always working on, you know, making things better. So tell us a little bit about some of the new courses you've mentioned. You're going to have some new courses coming out. What, what, what's in the works? Uh, so we got, you know, we've been pushing really big on manual therapy and strength. I think, you know, corrective exercise. I don't know that anybody does it better than we do already. And obviously we have more anatomy than I think anybody's ever cared to see, much less does see. Uh, there is definitely a lot of anatomy up on our site. Um, I'm definitely kind of an anatomy geek. But, you know, I'll be finishing up the manual therapy courses and finishing up meaning the first set of uh, like a comprehensive thing. Of course, we'll always keep adding in the future. And then we've been pushing really hard on the performance side too. Like you saw the stability training thing. We have one, uh, a lit review coming out on like repetition ranges. Um, I'm working on a couple things on power and hypertrophy. And then of course, all the exercise progressions that come along with that. Um, so, you know, we're going to keep kind of marching forward in, in sports medicine. Um, you know, I think you'll see more manual therapy. We just, you know, the vibration, we have ISTM courses, we have taping courses coming out, right? So we'll have those gadgets. I like to call those gadgets, right? Like we'll have the gadget stuff. And then, you know, you'll just kind of keep seeing us branch out that way. You know, I don't, we'll see if I ever stop, but I hope it's <laughs> not. Well, you mentioned gadgets too. And I've seen that you, you, you love to say you love gadgets. You love toys. What are some of your favorite toys that you like using right now? Good call. Um, so, you know, obviously we, we use some rock tape. I already kind of explained the, the whole trying to improve carryover. Um, I generally don't see my patients for very many sessions, which I think surprises people like usually two or three sessions and people are out the door with me. So um, we're real big on carryover and self-management and getting the biggest, biggest bang for our buck we possibly can. Um, I do use some ISTM with smart tools. We just started the BF. I just started working with BFR training, the blood flow restriction. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think so I have me and I, I have this friend of mine who's like a brother and he's my training partner for basketball. So we've been playing basketball a long time. Um, I don't know if it looks it, but I'm going to be 40 this year. <clears throat> so staying competitive at 40 on the basketball court isn't easy. And this idea with BFR of being able to restrict blood flow, train with 30% of your normal load and get the same amount of hypertrophy from a longevity standpoint is a really nice thought. Like I've always had some issues with my knees. Um, the fact that now every other workout I'm doing, you know, 60, 70, 80 pounds rather than 200 pounds on my legs, you know, and getting the same relative hypertrophy. We'll see if that helps push me. Like, let's see if I'm still competitive at 50. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's so, one of the newer things that's pretty cool to see BFR. So it'd be cool to see if you guys put out anything uh, regarding that, some of the research that you might have. Yeah, one of my former writers, actually, he's he did this company called BFR Bros, and they teach some workshops. Yeah, 
<clears throat> and he was teaching for smart tools a little bit with their BFR cuffs. Right. Um, it's definitely cool stuff. And, and I think what people don't realize is kind of like the local vibration training. There's a ton of research. Yeah. Like, it's not like this stuff is just random toys that nobody knows how it works. No, like BFR sure. has some very specific applications, just like the vi vibration release stuff does. Yeah. Yeah. Really cool stuff that's out there. Um, it'll be exciting to really see, you know, what's available. Um, so tell everybody kind of where they can, obviously where the website is, you know, how they can uh, see, find you online. Um, if you want to maybe make another pitch for membership, let everybody know how you can sign up for that. Yeah. So, I mean, look, if you guys are not ready to, to pay for stuff, that's fine. Get on Instagram, get on Facebook and start following us there. We definitely put out a lot of educational content. Um, I've been slowly shifting, trying to make our marketing useful educational content unto itself or a useful education platform unto itself. Uh, the, the membership is at brookbushinstitute.com. It is $19.99 a month. Um, you actually, you guys could actually use coupon code free month, no space, and that'll give you your first month free. So you guys can try that out. Uh, you do have to put in your credit card information. Sorry, but, uh, you know, you won't get charged until day 31 or whatever. And we're not trying to steal your money. We just want to make sure that if you like it, you keep going. Um, and obviously if you cancel, you don't get charged. If we charge you on day 32 and you didn't want to continue, just email us. We're happy to refund you. We're not trying to scam people. Um, but I think if you guys get on there, like you'll see there's a ton of content. I think you'll see that I really do look at this as a service. Like I'm not trying, it's, you, you're never going to say Brent thinks like that's, it's not what this is about. This is about the scientific <laughs> method and, and the effort my company's putting in and education. And I think, I think you guys will appreciate it. And then just being able to do everything on the app or online by video, by by reading but it's just like it's it's all there yeah and i appreciate that too because i primarily uh travel and work on an ipad so it's nice to have the online apps uh to be able to do that you know even if i want to grab my phone for whatever reason to be able to do that so the uh app for uh, brookbush institute is definitely is going to be on uh is on what am i saying i'll cut and edit all this stuff is on the app store apple app store and then google play so you can definitely put it on the device free. Your choice. It's free for members. And to your point, there is a, if you favorite, uh, you can favorite courses and they'll go into your little favorites page. Oh, and cool. then actually a little feature on the favorites page that you can save stuff for offline mode. So if you happen ah, to great be point. flying yeah. um, or on subways in New York city, you can <laughs> get your education, which we thought was really important. I really appreciate that. I do love that. Because you're absolutely right. You know, um, even if you fly on an airline that has Wi-Fi, what is that? You it's really get Wi-Fi. <laughs> you you get messaging, and maybe it's good too, but you definitely can't stream anything at the same time. So, definitely a great selling point. One thing that I always look at for uh, a lot of different things as well too. And I can definitely uh, recommend the uh, Instagram. Uh, is it at Brookbush Institute or? Yep, at Brookbush Institute. And then I think I think my Facebook is still under Dr. Brent Brookbush, DPT, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I really only put the credentials up there to try to stave off the trolls, but you, know, <laughs> you guys can all call me Brent. It's fine. Um, yeah, the, the Instagram page is cool. Obviously, Instagram's kind of been our big focus this year because Instagram has taken over the social media space. But yeah. And I do yeah. love your post too. You know, it's, uh, it is a lot of content for just an Instagram post, which is really great because it's hard to do that with an Instagram post. I will warn people, you give tests, 
but you know, obviously to the, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so that guy. I'm the teacher all the time. Pop quiz. Let's go. To the idea of, of all that we've been talking about, you can take it at your leisure and uh, it's fun because yeah. it's fun to see all the people who are commenting back and forth. People are throwing the right answer. People are throwing ridiculous answers sometimes. So it's nice. One that surprised me recently was like, we get some pretty savvy people who like, I'm like, I'm surprised how many people are getting this right. And then we had one on planes of motion the other day. Yeah. Holy cow. I was like, really guys <laughs> like here's the link to the planes of motion video like they didn't get i think it was like which one of these is in the transverse plane and nobody picked bench press it was like okay i was gonna ask yeah which one if you remember what it was because i don't think i saw that oh man it was rough even the last one which two joints uh control scapular the scapular the scapular motion and people like messed that up really bad which is of course the sc and the ac joint are the only things attaching the scapula to the body so Oh, I have, I'll, I'll do it offline, but I, I have a great story uh, when I used to teach anatomy of uh, people not knowing <laughs> or not studying what, oh, they, yeah. what they're doing. So I'll it's, tell you offline. It's good though. <laughs> You'll see that I'm friendly. Um, you know, if you guys are inquisitive, I'll always answer questions. I am just warning anybody ahead of time. I am an asshole to trolls. I will, <laughs> I, I will not back down from just dissecting somebody's horrible argument if they get on a troller page and i've done that from the get-go for one reason i want to be clear for the students who are reading the posts why somebody is wrong and why no matter how um sure of themselves they are if they're not following a scientific approach mm -hmm. they're going to find out real quickly but as long as you guys are nice like i'll answer any question like i don't and, you know well, and i have to say you know certain posts and, and certain comments you're not i wouldn't call you a, a jerk about it you you are trying to explain to someone why they might be wrong and i don't think i think we automatically jump to the point oh you're being a jerk because you're pointing out that i'm wrong it's like no i'm just pointing out that you're wrong and why and i think there's always that context that gets lost in 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 the word in the text when you're reading it on a post or something like that. But you know, I, I wouldn't say that you're necessarily an asshole. Like you said, I think you're just trying to convey the correct information. It's probably because I'm actually sitting there going text nice, text nice. <laughs> I'm screaming, but I like, I'm, I'm like trying to be as nice as possible. I'm like jumping up and down and like throwing my phone <laughs> at the floor. And then I'm like, no, you shouldn't use that word. Be nicer. <laughs> and be one of my it. favorite. Read. I'm never. So oh, visualize that. I'm never going to read those those kind of posts the same again. <laughs> It'll be great. <laughs> we'll all know the secret now. <laughs> Text nice. Text nicely, Brooke Bush. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely check out brookebushinstitute.com. There is live events uh, in the education oh, yeah. tab if you are looking for a live event uh, uh, coming up. Um, but definitely. You know, we've talked about how the trend's going that way. A lot of online content, a lot of really cool stuff that you can study in your underwear. So really good stuff out there. Definitely check out uh, Brent on Instagram and Facebook and uh, let him know what you think. You know, he's always open to having a great conversation about some of the great stuff that's out there. So Brent, thank you so much, man, for the time. I, I learned a ton too. One of the things that I love learning more about is how to look at research a little bit better. So I hope everybody got a lot out of that. I hope we can figure that out in our courses coming up next year. Yeah, it'll be good to see kind of what's on the horizon. Thanks Always. a lot, man.